When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You got your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host Eddie Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast which is new every Thursday. Anywhere you get your podcast, thank you so much for subscribing and listening and checking it out wherever you are in the world. For those that are in the U.S. and Canada, if you're only listening to this podcast to get all your Eddie Trunk content, (laughs) yes, I went third person there, uh, you're only getting a tiny, tiny fraction, honestly, of what I do every day on the radio because this podcast and the interviews you hear in it all originated on my SiriusXM radio show, Trunk Nation, which is heard live Monday through Friday from 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific on Faction Talk, SiriusXM channel 103. So please come on board for the radio show and uh, get your SiriusXM going and listen to everything that I do each and every day because here on the podcast, I can only bring you a tiny, tiny fraction, like one of like, Six things I do a week can I bring you here on the podcast. So get the whole picture and come on board for the radio show. Everybody else outside of the U.S. or Canada, of course, you can't get uh, Trunk Nation, so you can't get SiriusXM, at least not legally. (laughs) So, um, you know, thank you for listening, and this is a way to get you some content as well. Social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebook page Those would be the best ways to keep up with me as far as social media content is concerned. And uh, eddytrunk.com is the website. Hope everybody had a good week. I had a very, very busy week last week in Los Angeles, which then tied into a visit to Rolling Meadows, Illinois, and a great sports bar with some great people called Reps. And I hosted Reps Fest, their middle day on Saturday, saw an ACDC tribute called TNT Chicago that were really good, a uh, Bon Jovi tribute that was called Bad Medicine, and also a UFO tribute called Rock Bottom. Honestly, all three really, really good. These tribute bands, uh, and some of them are actually better than the actual bands are now, if the bands still exist. It's crazy, but 
good time there. Great people, great fans, and uh, appreciate uh, those guys having me out. It was really a, a fun appearance, outdoor parking lot thing, but very, very cool. So thanks to everybody that I met there. Uh, going forward, from when you hear this, what's coming up next? Well, in addition to the radio show every day, and of course, tons of great guests, I'm going to be, uh, this This is pretty cool, and I'm pretty excited about this. There's going to be a shrunken head ceremony done for me in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is now officially my second home, and there is a legendary tiki bar there called the Golden Tiki, and they commemorate people of some note by doing shrunken head replicas of their head. And Sammy Hagar's had it done. Uh, Kevin Dubrow recently had one done of him. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. They make a little party out of it, and it is open to the public. And they're going to be doing that for me this Saturday at the legendary Golden Tiki in Vegas. So looking forward to that. It'll be a fun little party there. And again, if you're in the Vegas area, you're welcome to come by. Uh, it's not a huge deal, but it's, you know, it's cool. It's fun. So that's, uh, that's up next. And then there's a, you know, just a bunch of stuff coming. And just keep an eye on social media. Like I said, that's where I keep everything up to date especially Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page, simply at Eddie Trunk for all your info and updates. Now, speaking of my trip to LA uh, last week, I did some great radio shows from LA. I attended the Anvil, Story of Anvil re-premiere. I attended the premiere of the Dio Doc, both of which are now back in theaters, the Dio Doc premiering, the Anvil being re-released. And I also did some great radio shows from the studio, including Steve Vai, who came by my LA studio and sat in with me for almost 90 minutes. Well, 90 minutes in radio time, uh, probably a little shorter than that in podcast time, meaning some of the commercials and stuff might be backed out, but the actual interview itself was over an hour. And Steve, who is now starting his tour is on tour. Actually, at the time you're hearing this just started his U S tour. Great, great guy. He really is just a uh, needless to say, virtuoso guitar player, but a great guy and so much history and so many people he's played with. And we get into a lot of that. His recent collaboration with Living Color, Whitesnake, Zappa, David Lee Roth, his solo record, his guitars, everything. Uh, a doc about him now on YouTube. It's a great, great conversation. I'm excited to let you guys hear it here on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get it going for you right now. Steve Vai from about two weeks ago in the Sirius XM LA studios from my radio show, Trunk Nation, on Sirius XM Faction Talk. Enjoy. It's always great to see this guy. Needless to say, phenomenal musician and an awesome person as well. We welcome to the studio, Steve Vai. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Eddie. You Thanks good? for the invite. Yeah, I'm doing great. You look Things good. get any better, I'm going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling this story. Russell's uh, one of our producers here in the studio. I was just telling this story. I said... To Steve, I said, there's that time. I asked him, I asked if you were still running because yeah. you look great. You're always thin and so envious of somebody who's always so thin like you. But I know you put work into it because it, well, I got uh, the genes for it too. Well, yeah, yeah, and I don't have the genes. So that's the, I'm the opposite. But about, I must have been about 10 years ago. Yeah. My daughter, uh, I live in New Jersey full time, as most people know. And I, my daughter was taking, I think it was some sort of dance class or yeah. something above a theater. And I dropped her off to the dance class, and I'm waiting on the sidewalk. <laughs> this guy comes running by me, jogging. And I'm like, oh, 
you look like Steve. I go, Steve. And you stopped <laughs> I remember. and it was you jogging. I'm yeah, just, I'm like, what are you doing here? I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> One of those things. And I didn't realize that that night, Experience Hendrix was playing in that theater, and you were on that that year. That, uh, was, was it that Experience it? No, it, was it wasn't. It was, my, it was my solo show, because if you remember, I dragged you up on stage. I coerced you to come to the show. And then during the show, I do. The, I had this little segment where I'd build a song oh, on stage. Oh, that I remember. Seven Dust the were there too. The guys Seven night. Dust were there, and I dragged you up on stage, and you sang a melody, and we played it. And then the guys from Seven Dust came up, and we jammed. Now I know great. we did that, but I think the time I saw you running, you did experience Hendrix. Yeah. Right? Oh, maybe you're it right was about that. that. Oh, okay, maybe you're right Be, about that. The reason why I remember it was that was because I would have known if you were just playing just build as you. Right, but it was just Experience Hendrix, and I didn't know who was on it, oh, and I didn't okay. know you were on it, which is why I was surprised to see you. Ah, yeah. And then I remember you vividly saying to me because we walked backstage, we were talking a little bit, and you said, "I said, how's this going?" And you're like, well, "I I don't know how I'm going to fit in this." Like you were concerned yeah. about how your style of playing was going to fit doing a Hendrix tribute, and yeah. of course it was great, but I you were you were a little apprehensive there. about it, it seemed like. Yeah, because everybody was, uh, you know, steeped in the blues and very effective blues players, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm kind of a quirky rock, uh, you know, kind of a player. So I, I wasn't really sure, but I knew one thing. I loved Hendrix, and I liked the guys on the tour. Yeah. I was playing with Living Color. They were in the the band that I was playing, you know, that was the backing me. And uh it was great. It worked great. You know that whole experience. I now I remember, yeah. yeah. You had you must have come to the show that then, I played on your own. Yes. Right? And then when you were just playing, I just came to come right. and then okay. you That's called cool. me up and you're like, "We're going to write a song." And I'm like, "Steve, I can't play a note." And you're like, "Well, we're going to show you." And it was amazing. It was so much fun and it was it was so it was, it was so great. great. I think that was a couple years after the whole thing. But you still run on a regular basis, Is that your primary exercise? When I can, yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm I'm back now in between legs of a tour, so try to kick it up a bit. I, was, I like to run when I'm on tour, when it's the nice, uh, you know, when the weather is good. You ever have any problems like knees, feet, anything like that from doing it? No, no. I don't I don't pound the pavement hard. I'm, right. I'm, a, I'm a slow poke. Yeah. I was, one time I was in Mon- uh, Monterey, Mexico, and I got lost running. And I found myself, oddly enough, in a slaughterhouse area because it started to smell really bad, and I got really lost, and I was finally, it was up this hill, and I was coming down, and I did trip and sprain my ankle. There, <laughs> it was an interesting show. You don't want to get lost in, <laughs> in certain parts of Mexico no, either. No, but it was, I, I escaped it. I, uh, I toured through Mexico with Deep Purple. Oh, really? About seven, eight years ago. And wow. uh, when we said when i say toured mexico i don't know how much you've toured there but we went to some really like yeah <laughs> chickens running across the road like yeah. off the grid feeling parts of mexico yeah i love i love touring mexico i'm fans probably, are great the 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 fans are great mexico city is actually a very cultural city yeah i love it it's uh they have a lot of art in the streets the government puts up these art exhibits in the streets and stuff and it's just a it's it's a great place to play latin communities are very receptive at concerts they just go mad it's yeah. great of all this of all the places you've played you've been doing this for decades and you tour globally all the time you just came yeah. back from europe of all the places you've seen and visited and performed in what 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 has been like 
like the, some of the standout places or or on the flip side of that what's mm. been like maybe the most dicey situation you found yourself in oh well, i've been exposed to all of it you know uh, i think the if i had to say the wildest audiences probably venezuela you know and and that part of the world you know they just are at the time that i was going very hungry for entertainment and going really crazy and i started to go to russia way back in the 90s when it was just opening up and that was interesting too because it seemed like everybody that was at the concerts were very reserved and almost um you know uh, just just very reserved and afraid to actually let loose and have a good time you know uh, almost like repressed or something but it, this was just when you know the the government had started to collapse back then and uh, I remember I was just scratching my head, and I'm like, I know these people want to have a good time, and we're putting on a great, unique kind of a show for, you know. And I made an announcement to the effect of whatever is going on outside of this building is not part of your life right now. Right now, you are here to enjoy this experience in, in any, with no excuses. And, man, they went insane. It was like the, you know, the, the cork. Amen. Mm. That was great. Do you do you play you play Japan often, right? Yeah. So I was told that back in the day, Japan was an interesting thing where the audiences are super reserved while you're playing to the point that in the '70s they used to even have like a green and red light. <laughs> where did you hear about this? Or did you I didn't know about this? that, but I can imagine there was actually like a traffic light. Oh wow! Where when the light w next to the stage, so when the light was red, the audience had to be seated and be quiet. Yeah. And when it turned green, you were allowed to applaud or even stand up. And if you broke that, they had cops in the audience that would escort you out or reprimand you. That's interesting. I have something similar to that, but when the green light goes on, everybody has to take their clothes off and attack the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a lot of green lights on your a stage? A lot of green scene. lights. <laughs> but you know, that is interesting about Japan. What what I noticed from all these years of touring is everybody enjoys live music, you know, most people, and they just express it differently. And when I would go to Japan, and even still to this day, it's so funny because they are very reserved, but when you're finished with a song, they just erupt they go, yay, and then down again. Still. And it's like complete silence again. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, we'll play the next song. <laughs> <laughs> you just came from doing, now you got a tour, you're about to start your tour in a couple of days, which we'll talk about, but you just came from a bunch of touring in Europe, right? Yeah. How did yeah. that all go? Well, you know, it was, it was the most challenging tour I ever embarked upon, but probably one of the most rewarding because- all the bands from 2020, 2021, 2022 that, that couldn't tour moved their tours to the most desirable time and place to tour, which is the European market during the summer because right. it's all the festivals and all this. So a lot of bands were out. And a lot of uh, um, things happened during the lockdowns, like the, all the buses were you know, sitting still for two years. And you can't have a tour bus sit still for two years, you know, and all the drivers went to drive trucks. So it was, there was challenges that uh, I had never experienced, you know, but um, uh, everybody was having them. But we still made it to every gig and uh, some great gigs. I did, I did Hellfest. In France. Yeah, in France. And that was extraordinary. I got to actually got up and played with Whitesnake. 
on uh, right. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, you did still the night, right? Did still the night, which was the last the last performance that they've done. Yes, because yeah. David shut it down after that. Yeah, and yeah. including all the U.S. dates, which they should be out on right now. Yeah, yeah. How was he when you saw him? Great. It yeah. was. It was right. I think at the uh, pinnacle of when uh, Tommy got ill, and then. Uh, David. So and Reb was out too. And Reb right? was out. Yep, he was out for I think like two weeks. And he was he was from what I understand, he was supposed to come back right after the Hellfest. And but that was the last show. Did you play? You didn't play the whole set. You just came out. And no, no, the song. I just played still of the night. Right. Yeah. How was that for you? Go. Oh, back it was and, great. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, they uh, White Snake was going on. They went on uh, right after us. Just on a different stage, so right. I I got off my stage. David invited me the day before, right. you know. So I'm like, yeah, you know, this, this is gonna be great. Stephen, and, come and play, Stephen Darling. Snake yeah. Darling. <laughs> Once a snake, always a snake. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he's always a great hang too, you know. So uh, it was just nice to be on that stage in front of all those people playing that song that time. Yeah. And who else was up there playing guitar? Was it Joel? Joel. And but Reb was not. Reb was not there. So it was so there wasn't so they were playing that show the whole show as a single guitar. Yeah. Oh wow. Which is very rare for White Snake. I'm surprised they didn't recruit you in for the whole set just to fill in <laughs> for Reb. But... I don't think I would have had enough time to learn it all. <laughs> uh, so hey, that... I wanted to, I wanted to just mention a little shout out to Nuno Betancourt. His birthday today. Today's his birthday. Yeah. Brother Nuno. Your ge- your Generation X partner. That's right. Yeah. We should, for those that don't know, as I mentioned, Steve did a few tours uh, under the the banner Generation X. It was mm-hmm. yourself, it was Nuno, it was Zach Wild, it was Ingve, and it was Tosin Abbasi. Yeah. And uh, do you want to do more of that? Yeah, we have plans. You know, still kind of putting them together because um, we all love doing it. You know what I mean? It's it's really kind of like a little vacation, and it's just laughs the whole time. I can't believe you guys are all on the same bus. Oh, it's the, it's great. We're up till like five, six in the morning, just talking and listening to like one night we got on a seventies music, seventies pop music kick. Yeah. You know, you'd be surprised how many people, uh, from our generation got that, have, have that music in their blood, you know? So we were, and, and, oh my God, just being like with Zach and, and Nuno and, and Ingve. I mean, they're all just, just you know that person. Oh, overwhelming, well. intense, yeah. crazy, oh, yeah. beautiful. You know, and it's we just had a great time. So we're we're trying to do as much as we can, but getting the schedules together is tough. I'm telling you, and I, I said this to Zach, and I said it to Ingve, and I said it to Nuno. I don't know Tosin, but I said uh, to me, if you could ever just put a couple little little GoPros up in that bus and roll oh. at, at four in the morning. I would love to see. And they're like, no, no, nobody needs to see or hear the stuff that's going on. But uh-huh. I mean, that would just be, now I know Zach doesn't drink anymore cause he can't. And I knew Zach when he did drink heavy, yeah. but um, is there some drinking going on during no, that? Nobody's no. drinking? No, nobody really drinks. I mean, Nuno never had an issue. Right. And he'll have a little wine now and then, I think, you know. But no, nobody, everybody's sober. Ingve is stone sober. Man. Is he really? Oh, absolutely. I didn't know that. About, oh, I mean, yeah. I know him well, but I didn't know Many him. Many years. Uh, yeah, yeah. And for people that never heard or saw this, you guys did Bohemian Rhapsody oh, with man. that. Yeah, it was, extra- I, if I might say, it was extraordinary. It is. It, it really is. And we, we it's up there online. Um, All and guitar it, instrumental. 
all guitars. Yeah. We got every voice that Freddie sang. And it was a an exercise in real uh, connectivity and patience and uh, just vision because to get that, to get five guitars to sound like, the, the, with the restraint that that vocal or, uh, arrangement has, we had to, everything from like the pickup you use, the way you're u- hitting the note, the vibrato or the no vibrato, ending each note perfectly. I mean, there's like nuances that you don't realize uh, are there to get it to sound that way. Yeah. And we worked our asses off, man. And it paid off. It's really cool. You did yeah. that in China, didn't you? Because uh, there's a live recording from China, I think. Um, did you go to the, China the, with Generation X? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, the record... Right. Live in China, right? It was from there, but we didn't. We weren't. I don't think we were doing Bohemian Rhapsody. Then. Oh, okay. no, we did that when we came back and did the the last American run. Maybe it was Highway Star. Didn't you do? Yeah, Highway we Star did too? Highway Star. Okay, same okay. kind of concept. Great, uh, you know, uh, arrangement. So right. it's not just a mess of guitars. You know, right. everybody's got their parts, and they come in, they come out, and then like when we do that epic Richie solo, it's like in blazing harmony. It's really great. Now, of course, you've done, like, we, we. I had you on recently with Joe Satriani and Eric Johnson because we mm-hmm. talked about yeah. G3 and the anniversary of that. So you, you're no stranger to doing that sort of grouping of guitar players like mm-hmm. that. But for Generation X, that group of musicians, Ingve, Nuno, Tosin, Zach, did you personally put that together? Were those your picks to make that, Bill? Yeah, it was a concept that I kind of was kicking around for a while. I love doing the G3. You know, the G3 was a little different format in that with G3, each guy brings his band up and plays a little set and then they leave and then another band sets up. With the Generation X, the idea was to have one backing band and have everybody kind of coming and going and coming and going, sort of like tag teams, and then doing these ensemble pieces together. So that's that's a different kind of a thing where usually you know if you if you had a like a big guitar show and guys get up on stage they're they're jamming you know and like this is your solo section and okay then you stop here and then this guy goes you know and that's great but this was very different what we do what we did with Generation X I haven't seen you know it's well I mean the ensemble pieces were powerful well organized and everybody um just delivered and it was great but i'm looking so forward to doing it again yeah i i saw it um in new jersey when you guys did it and i loved that crossover aspect because yeah. it's like okay here's nuno handing the baton to zach but they're going to do one together yeah. before zach yeah zingve hands to you and then you and ingve together yeah and you rarely see ingve share guitar with anybody because Zingve's yeah. ingve you know it's yeah. like yeah. you rarely see him trade off with anyone like that so yeah we it, do that great number um of his black star yes. and and it's just got the greatest melody and uh you know we do trading and everything in it but to get back to your question so i had the idea of doing this kind of like five guitar players with one backing band and i didn't i i, I drew on a piece of paper actually different genres metal rock blues you know the fusion and i thought i'd like to put this together you know which one would i fit in and I thought, well, I could probably fit in the rock and the metal. And I said, I want to go for the, the metal first. And the first four names I wrote were those guys, Tosin, Ingbe, Zach, Nuno. And um, they all responded. Yeah. 
yeah, I want to do this. Do you envision if you do it again, it's staying that, or would you like to kind of like G3 did with that third position, maybe sub some people out and change it? I've always felt uh, when, when, when possible, keep it the way it was because it's hard to find, you know, guys that can work together like that and coexist together and coexist. on a bus yeah, yeah yeah i mean when i wrote down those names on paper people were looking at me like i was insane <laughs> you're like you're gonna get zach wilde and ingve malmsteen and Tosa, you know There's all a on lot one. of personalities there man. a lot and they said you got it's gonna be a nightmare and i just something in me said nope nope it's gonna be glorious i know it is of course there's you know stuff you got to work out right you know and and we worked it out well, I think that the common thread is all great players and all probably having, not probably, I know having a great mutual respect for each other. So yeah. everybody's going to kind of like stay in their lane and not get too crazy and re realize the people around them are, you know, great, great players as well with great accomplishments. Well, I think what happened was everybody saw the big picture, you know, of what we could achieve yeah. with these, uh, with Obviously, everybody doing their solo presentation, but with the ensemble pieces right. where we're actually playing together. Like, one of the things that, when it started, the first person I approached was Nuno. And, and uh, you know, he was like, well, you know, tell me more about this. And I said, imagine five lead guitars playing Bohemian Rhapsody in perfect harmony. And he said, I'm in. I got it. I got, I got this. <laughs> Speaking of um, musicians that you played with recently, you just last week, a mind-blowing rendition of Cult of Personality oh, came out. You. Now, you mentioned Living Color when you did Experience mm -hmm. Hendrix. You played with them. So you obviously have history with those guys. And yeah. they're an amazing band. And Vernon's a monster as well. Yeah. But uh, tell me, that now that originated because you guys were in Brazil, right? At Rock and Rio. You both performed at Rock and Rio, and they called you up for it? How did that all happen? Well, with Rock and Rio, it's the kind of thing where, you you, you know, obviously you you, you put it together and all the logistics and all the bands and everything way ahead of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I played Rock and Rio a, a handful of times. Um, and then I got a call and it was an invite. It was actually scheduled for last year, but Rock and Rio was canceled. So they bumped it to this year and I was still available. And I was uh, very excited to do it. It was a piece of cake, you know. First of all, Ha getting to hang out with those guys again is always a pleasure. They're they're just great guys to hang out with, and to j and to play with. You know they've got their groove on. You know it's a very specific, interesting kind of a groove that oh, they yeah. have that feels so nice to just lay on top of. You know, and uh, and it's always nice to uh, to be with Vernon. He's he's a fantastic player and mastermind of sorts, and. Uh, it was just such an easy cake gig. Hey, you want to come down? Just grab your tech and. But wait, you did. You went just to go play with them. You actually to, weren't on the bill yourself. No, no I just. Oh, I didn't to, know that. Yeah, I just went to uh, play uh, by myself with um, Living Color. You didn't play the whole set. No, I did about four songs. Oh, you did more than just Cult. Oh yeah. Uh, so I had thought for. I thought it was similar to the White Snake. What we just talked about, where uh, you no, guys no, were no. both on the bill, no. and they told you to come over. You actually went to play with them. What are, What were the other songs you did? Well, we kicked off with Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin, uh -huh. which is fantastic because I never felt like I played it quite right when I was in high school, <laughs> and this gave me a chance to like learn it like Jimmy Page played it live and throw some Jimmy Page shapes. It was just so great. And then we did like Crosstown Traffic. 
and uh, Colt. And that, what was the other one? I really like this song. It, it was a living color song. It's called The Life You Live or so, something like that. And I remember the lyrics, which is fantastic, and the riff was great. And we did that. And then we were going to do um, Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. Mm-hmm. And right when we were about to, it was the last song, right when we were about to launch into it. I went, I, it's funny because I, 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 I went up to Vernon and I said, okay, on the end of this song, let's really just... You and I just, you know, destroy this. And he looks at me and goes, we can't. The show's over. Oh, you ran out of time. <laughs> we ran out of time. Oh. So we couldn't do the last song. But it was fine. You know, it was probably better to end on Cult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so you, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So they yeah. played basically as a two guitar band with you coming out for four songs. Yeah. I imagine at the end. Were you billed to be a part of it? Yeah. So yeah. it was billed as Living Color featuring Steve Vai yeah. performance. That's really, really cool. And then you record. Now, the version of Cult of Personality that's out, that's a studio recording, right? Well, what I uh, what happened was they were interested in doing something for promotion for the event. And they said, would you like to play on Cult of Personality? So I didn't know uh, if it was actually a new recording. And they said, no, we're going to we want to take the original recording. And they sent me all the tracks. And I laid, you know, I laid a solo and they uh, kind of chopped it up so that it was Vernon and I kind of going back and forth. And I think, you know, he recorded, re-recorded the rhythm guitars and everything. It sounds different. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how it should sound if it's going to be a a new version. Yeah. It was an honor because that song is a classic. Yeah, yeah. And I got to play it with the band. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah, I saw those guys last a uh, little under a year ago. Mm-hmm. There's an event in Cancun, uh, one of these all-inclusive resort music events that I do uh-huh. called 80s in the Sand. And they they were new to it, and they played it last year. And, the, you know, the, the, it's a very mixed uh, music lineup. So mm-hmm. everything from, like, Culture Club to Howard Jones to Living yeah, Color yeah. Mm-hmm. are on it. So like Boz Pop. Yeah, and they – so – and it's people on vacation again. It's an all-inclusive deal, yeah. and uh, they came out and played, and I introed them that night, and they uh, just destroyed. Yeah, and it's funny because half the people were like all in, but then the other half who were there for kind of like the eighty synth pop thing were like, "What's going uh, on yeah, here?" Yeah, yeah, because they just I was all in, of course, yeah. but they were like some of the other people were not quite sure, but the promoter. Loved it so much, he yeah. booked him again for this year, oh, and it's great. coming up next month, so I'll be seeing oh, him wow. again next month. And oh, uh, it's a great setting, obviously, in a beach resort to see those yeah. guys. Uh, well, I'll rock. tell you, I don't, I, don't, I don't care where you come from or what your taste in music is. If you're hearing that band and the way Corey sings. Still great. Is, I mean, I was Amazing. listening to Cult of Personality live yeah. in, in Rio, and I could not believe the way he sings still. Yeah. It's every note, perfect intonation, strong, and just amazing. And what a what a rhythm section with Will oh, and yeah. Doug. I oh, mean, just oh, Doug is yeah. unreal. Yeah. It's just unreal. Now, one other th- there's so much I want to talk to you about, and I want to take the audience wants to talk talk to you too. Um, but one other thing, as far as new stuff since the last record came out, and if, mm-hmm. again, the tour is about to start. Uh, you can go to vi.com to find your dates. The first show is. Like here in California, right? Uh, it's in El Cajon, yeah. And that is the 28th, which is... Like Wednesday. 
uh, well, today's the 20th, so you got uh, a week from tomorrow. Uh. <laughs> Where are you as far as preparation? Do you just roll what you did in Europe into this tour, or do you change stuff for the U.S. leg? Um, I'm adding one song, but the one song is taking all my focus right now, and it's a song called Teeth of the Hydra. From the new record. From the new record, and it's where I play that Hydra guitar, the wild triple neck thing. We talked about that. That was yeah. your new thing with this record yeah i couldn't take it to europe because i'd um after i shot the video for teeth of the hydra i had to i had to undergo another shoulder surgery and uh, i couldn't even put my arm around it just to know. update people on that because last time you were on to promote the record yeah. you had canceled you had hurt yourself you and you told me you hurt it with a making a pizza that was the second time <laughs> so one time was you had a you have a pizza stove or something in your backyard. Yeah. And you flicked the pizza and you pulled something. Yes. Well, the first the first time was about a year and a half ago where I I went in a, but it was it was a long time coming, you know, cuz it just kept my shoulder kind of just started to fall apart in a sense, you know. And uh I went through all the kinds of therapy, but nothing really worked. So I got it fixed and it was easy. Um and then Halfway through the healing process, yep, you nailed it. Pizza <laughs> I was incident. making pizza, and the uh, other shoulder, the same same one? one, but just a different tendon. And I was, you know, and bam, I I tore it. Uh, and I was in the middle of making the record, and I just decided I have to finish this record, and I got to finish the Hydra because I didn't know if I was going to ever be able to play it again after. So I finished it. And I did the video, and then I had the second surgery. And I had about three weeks to heal before I actually kicked off. That's when I had to move the American leg to this fall. Mm -hmm. But I did go to Europe over the summer. And, yeah, I had to baby my shoulder a bit, but uh, got through it, but I couldn't do the Hydra. So that's what I was working on. Matter of fact, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to play it, if I was going to be able to play it until last week when I got home, because that's how long I've been kind of gone. And I got in front of it and I was telling everybody I'm going to be bringing it, you know, and I wasn't sure. Three necks on the Hydra? Three necks and 13 harp strings. Yeah. Rick but, Nielsen laughs at that. You know? <laughs> I know. He eats the Hydra for breakfast. His, his, what has he got? The seven, eight, nine neck, something like that? Oh, my God. He's starting to reach Detroit with his <laughs> necks. You ever hold that thing? Not the Hydra, Rick's, like seven neck or whatever it is? You have, N no. It, it, have you? Yes. You did? Yes. Of course you're Eddie Trump. Well, he sh <laughs> well, well, this is crazy. I saw it break. Oh, really? We were at a show in Pennsylvania, and Rick's telling, oh, this thing, look at how heavy it is. I go, Rick, you're going to kill yourself, you know? So he puts it back, he puts it on the stand, and then when we came back, I see him just looking at the case like this, and somebody knocked it over, and it cracked one of the necks. Ooh. And uh, I remember he didn't have a phone with me, so he asked me to take a photo for insurance, so we had it. And he's since got it fixed, but well, that it's a good thing, thing he had six other necks to choose <laughs> exactly. from. Exactly. <laughs> that thing is... Uh, is is ridiculously heavy and i'm wondering when you're talking about the hydra and of course with david lee roth you had like a two neck deal yeah. at one point i imagine those things are quite heavy so did i'm imagining playing is one of the things that impacted your shoulder issues or no well not with the hydra because the hydra has a, a you can't put it around your shoulders it's too heavy it uh, it uh hangs on you by a waist strap oh, so it hangs on your hips so there's no there's no pressure in your upper body but 
to wield all the necks and swing your arms around to hit all the necks, I couldn't do that. But I can now. <laughs> so you're going to bust that out I on the U.S. run? I'm playing it in, at home now, and it's it's coming along great. How much of the new record's going to be in the set? A lot. More yeah. than I have in the past. Probably ha- more than half the record. Okay. And did I see or hear there's a re-release of Flexible of some yep, sort? Yep, yep. I released it for the last time, I believe. 36th anniversary. I wanted to get it because um, I had the analog tapes, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. And I wanted it to be mastered by Bernie Grumman, you know, before he retires. And uh, he did it. You know, he decided to do it. And I'm happy about that. And oddly enough, you know, that record, it's such a bizarre little record, you know. But it it has an audience. Yeah. It has an audience because it's it sold really well. The, what do you remake. think of when you hear it now after all these oh years and and you were so young when you made it and coming out of uh, Zappa and everything? I mean, what when you listen to that as a player, obviously you've progressed and grown, oh, yeah. but when you listen back to that, what are you hearing? Does it bring a smile to your face? Oh yeah. I, the, the way that I felt about that record has changed through the years. You know, I was always uh, kind of like, why did you make such a weird record? You know? And then, I remembered why, because it was just a a time. It was a very innocent time. I had no expectations about being a rock star or anything. All that stuff seemed too extraordinary. You know, like that that would never happen. Uh, and I just was. I had this real pull to uh, to have my own recording place. You know, and I had this house in Silmar, and I built this little studio there, and that was like heaven in a cup. You know, because every day I just recorded, recorded, recorded. I didn't know what I was doing. I was learning. And Frank was actually loaning me some gear and stuff. So, and I never expected to release it because it was just, just kind of like fun, funny stuff. So me and my friends could laugh, you know. And then there was the one song on there, the Attitude song, that uh, was originally called The Night Before because I had heard rumor that uh, Alice Cooper was auditioning guitar players and you had to send your tape in by the next day. And Al was like, you know, uh, huge for me when I was uh, younger. And I said, okay, I need something that shows off my guitar playing. So like in a stream of consciousness, I recorded the Attitude song in like one night. And um, that one song, you know, you never know what, what can happen. It, it, let, it opened up so many doors because then it was in Guitar Player magazine and it, it had all these crazy techniques on it and stuff that just kind of resonated with the guitar community so i look back at that and i think boy it was sure nice that i had that freedom and i didn't care about anything except Mm. doing that and the interesting thing tying in with the name of that record was the initial release was for a flexi disc right right. which that's ironic when you consider you wanted this re-release is because you wanted bernie grunman to master it before he retired yeah but the initial release of that record is probably the lowest fidelity thing you could get for people that don't know who aren't yeah. as old as steve and i a flexi disc was a plastic flexible record disc of that sorts. record yeah. that went in a magazine yeah and you would rip it out of the magazine and you could put it on your turntable and yeah not the best fidelity but a pretty cool looking thing and 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 yeah. and great marketing actually because it's you could give a record away without handing a 12 inch piece of vinyl to somebody right and i was very fortunate at the time because uh, guitar player magazine was kicking off a series of inserting these little flexi discs into the magazine and this was the first one they did it with 
and uh, and it just that was it. That the doors just for, I got the the crossroads gig from that, right? And then I got the the Dave Roth and the White Snake gig from all of that. You know, it's kind of interesting how it, how all these things are connected. Few more things from me, and then we got a full bank of calls here of, of your audience would love to say hello to you. But tying in with all of this, I just watched, and I thought it was fantastic, a documentary on you yeah. on YouTube, the yeah. Steve Vai, the first thirty years. Yeah. Watched it a couple nights ago. Uh, as well as I know you, I learned a lot in it, yeah. and I thought it was very well done. Uh, tell me the origins of that, because you obviously participated in it. But was it a fan that actually did that? Yeah, Alan Berry. He's a, a, a kind of a, a filmographer, and uh, he took it upon himself to do it. And I learned a lot about myself by watching <laughs> it. I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm, I was looking at this, going, "How did he? How did? Well, I know I've spoken about these things. He must have found them." And then he was so thorough and deep with his investigations. I had like friends from my hometown calling me and going, "Steve, this guy Alan Berry is calling me and he wants to talk to me about you." I I don't know. And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, you can." You, you but know? you were that's interesting that you were cool with it because did you do you actually know him or it was just no, a fan? No, I didn't I didn't know him. Cuz there's a lot of times fans do that and then the artist kind of shuts it down cuz they're worried which way it's going to go and they won't clear the music or participate. You well, got he on gave board with me it. the option. He came to me in the beginning with sketches and he said i want to do this uh how do you feel about it and i i felt he was very sincere and i didn't want to get involved because i'm not i I don't i'm not interested in myself that way you know what i mean but um some people are and, and they're interested in others and they just it becomes their project so i i something told me that uh he was going to do something that would probably work with my quirky image for those first 30 years, you know, because you look at that thing and it's it's got some animation in it. It's got funny stories. Yeah. And uh, it's just very kind of a, a particular side of me that he really captured. And I helped him with things, you know, along the way with things like uh, I sent some photos, you know, some photos nobody else has. And um, uh, corrected some spellings and pronunciations and a couple of little facts here and there. But no, man, he did it. He did it all. And it's great because, it, I mean, if you're hardcore, it's there's Alcatraz stuff in there. He really was thorough. And I yeah. love the Alcatraz period. And then there's the White Snake and the David Lee Roth stuff and then the Zappa stuff. And, of course, transitioning into Flexible and then Passion and Warfare and that whole the period. The gem guitar. The gem guitar, the origins of the gem guitar, the... Uh, you call it the monkey grip, the, the monkey handle grip, on it. Yeah, I mean, everything. great, great stuff in there. There's two things that jumped out at me, though, that I wanted to, to hit you with. I, I know. <laughs> the one that just floored me is you. it says throughout the doc you've never been a big drinker. Mm-hmm. But I guess back in the day there were times you'd party, you'd have a few, too many or whatever, that you actually uh, were hungry <laughs> Tell tell the story. I don't want to blow it because oh god, I was probably sixteen years old. But it's in there, and Steve, it's so it's so gross and funny, and it's yeah, it reminded is. me immediately. And I'm sure you're a honeymooners fan. Oh yeah. So you know the episode oh, yeah. when Ralph <laughs> yeah, eats the right. dog food he eats the and dog thinks food. A, and he thinks it's... it hit me like oh my god, Steve actually That's did right. the honeymooners bit. But I tell did. everybody the story. It's oh, hysterical. Well, uh, probably when I was like 17, 16, 17, me and my my best buddy Joe Despagny, we'd we'd all go out on the weekends. And the group that I hung out with, I was in a band, and all those guys they were like greasers, bikers. 
And we would just go out and they were just wild, like really crazy guys. And, uh, you know, we'd go get drunk as hell on the weekends and come home, I don't know, 4 or 5 a.m. and just attack the kitchen like most teenage boys from Long Island, you know? Like and, most people do after a night of drinking. Yeah, you, like you anybody wanna, does. Yeah. Sober up, yeah. So we had our favorite concoction, which was uh, sort of like a tuna melt, you know, where you take Velveeta cheese and you take tuna and mayo and chop up all sorts of stuff and you put it in there and you put it in the toaster and you melt the cheese over it and then it's a fine delicacy. And uh, I woke up in the morning and I was looking for some lunch and my mother said there was a can of tuna fish in the ca- in the cabinet. And I said, oh, Joe and I ate that last night. She goes, well, I just saw it this morning, Stephen. <laughs> so I look in the garbage pail. And sure enough, there was a can of cat food, an empty can of cat food. And I opened the cabinet, and there's a can of tuna fish. <laughs> you guys in a drunkenly <laughs> accidentally ate cat food uh, instead you know. of tuna. And then the kicker is you go to wash it down. Oh, man, that was... Uh. Okay, so I'm like, of course, you hear something like that, and you realize, and you're just like... Bump, bump, right. bump, so I run to the refrigerator, and my mom made this great iced tea. It was renowned. You know, if you had a hangover or anything, you drink my mom's iced tea and you just feel better. And there it was. I opened the fridge like, ah, and it was in a big carafe and it was filled to the top. And I grabbed that sucker. And I, after the first giant gulp, I realized that it wasn't my mom's, my, my, my dear old mom's iced tea. It was pure cooking grease. God. <laughs> and it hit my throat and my stomach, and it, it was another one of those bah! moments, you know? I, so, I, so I visited the bathroom for a while. So Steve goes <laughs> drunk, goes to make a tuna melt that it turns out is cat food melt, yep. and then washes it down with what he thought was iced tea and is a giant jug of cooking, cooking grease. grease yeah. I, I can vomit just oh, thinking of it. it, how brutal that is. Well, don't knock it until you try uh, exactly. it, Exactly. Maybe it becomes a thing, That's Steve. right. Now everybody will be doing it. <laughs> and the last thing about this was the, uh, there's so much in this, and again, anybody can see this totally free. It's on YouTube. Just search Steve Vai uh, first, the first 30, 30 years. years. Yeah, it's, it'll come right up. The, the, um, the, the business acumen you had coming out of Zappa yeah. and knowing uh, when you started to think about making records on your own, now it's the norm in the music industry for artists to maybe not take a record deal or to have the leverage to say, no, I'm not going to give you a piece of this, this, and this for right. 10 cents a record. Yeah, You knew better at that time. You st- held your guns even back in the 80s to say, no, I'm not going to take that record deal. I'm not going to do this. It has to be on more preferred terms. Uh, yeah. Where did you Where did you get this sense of? I mean, a young artist would just like want to just jump right in. Oh, I got a record deal. I don't care. I'm going to sign it. Yeah. You were smart enough not to sign everything away. Where did that come from? Well, it, it it came from my lack of the feeling of desperation. You know, I, I did. I never felt desperate or. Uh, that I needed to do something in order to be able to play music. You know, it was always, I'm doing this. And it's not something that most people don't have. Like, you know, if you go to do something, you weigh it out. And if it feels right, you do it. If it doesn't, you don't. Or you find an alternative. You you figure out another way. But the stakes get higher when you believe that 
that like in my case this record deal is the holy grail that's what everybody wants you've been identified as somebody that is is uh you know worthy of a record deal this is can can throw your judgment into a blender you mm-hmm. know what i mean but i didn't have at that time it, it, it i said well maybe i'll get a record deal but it doesn't mean anything i don't know what, you know who's going to like this music so i had no there was no panicking or desperation and then when i looked at the deal it was the same as if you kind of like walked into your kitchen and there was a, a food that you there was no a, a, a cat food melt <laughs> or some ice cream you know you're going to go i will take the ice cream because i don't care what i'm going to get from eating that i know it's not something I want. So it was a feeling of being taken advantage of that just sent out these red flags. And I just, it was a very simple, no way. But that's unique for that time. It's not now because there's tons of artists that operate without a record deal or do their own things or whatever because of the internet and the affordability of being able to distribute like that and all of that. But back then, I mean, there there were a lot of younger artists. It's like, you know, I'll make the deal with the devil. I just got to get out there. Yeah. And and were you financially in good shape coming out of Zappa that you well, could kind of? I was always in financial financial good shape because I always lived a little bit below my means. Right. So even if I was making two hundred dollars a week or two hundred fifty dollars a week, I I figured out a way to live on two hundred and forty. You know, because I never I never really um, had a lot of you know desires for things right. I just I liked gear and I liked to record and I spent any extra money I had on that so I've always just and that's a secret that most mu- musicians should know is because musicians careers you know that's like you can be eating good one year and another year it's a little thin you know so you just live a little bit below your means you know, if you're making five million dollars a year, and you're living on five million one hundred thousand dollars, you got a monkey on your back. You know what I mean? So I just was—I I always just kept a buffer. So, and then you move along with the buffer. So yeah. I, I, it worked out good for uh, me. I relate to that totally. I mean, that's what I've done in my whole career. Yeah. I mean, it's like people think, "Oh, you're on the radio. You have a TV show. You must be." No, I—I I didn't feel the need to run around and buy some super high-end sports car to put up a facade. Yeah. I just was like, no, I'm going to live under the, so I can salt some away and just be smart about it. Yeah. And if you, and if you love sports cars, it's something that you really want. Right. You know, like like Tosin, for instance, he, I watched that, that guy work really hard on his craft and really well done too. And, you know, save some ducats and he loves sports cars, you know? So, he it's fine if it's the you know? one thing you know yeah. you know uh remember the guitar player from white lion Vito brada yeah yeah i'm asked about Vito all the time he's a friend but he's been out of the music industry forever but i'm asked about him constantly um i grew up with those guys i was their first oh. radio interview i oh. i was i was v- very tied in with them and Vito still lives in new york staten island same oh, i'll give him my regards but v i will but Vito's thing when he was coming up in the clubs and everything before they had a double platinum record and all was all he wanted was a Lamborghini. Like his dream uh, as a kid was to have a Lamborghini. Yeah. So to this day, Vito still lives in the house he grew up with in, in Staten Island, yeah. has no, no like expenditures at all, but in the garage is, is a, a Lamborghini. Lamborghini. God bless that's him. all he wanted was that Lamborghini. You know, that I, it, now that I think about it, there was one thing like that that re- I really wanted ever since I was a kid, and it was a Harley. 
Because yeah. I could never afford one. My brother had one. My friends had them. I could never afford a Harley. I loved motorcycles. That was my main mode of transportation when I came out to L.A. And finally, I remember when I came out to L.A., right before I started working with Dave, I saved up enough money and I bought a 750 Honda. And I was so thrilled about this. I could ride it. And, but I couldn't ride it very long because once I joined Dave's band, it was better to not you know ride a motorcycle right so for like those five years or whatever i had the bike in the garage and i'd pass it i don't know you know 15 times a day and i there's always that little voice in the back of your head that goes one of these days i'm gonna ride that bike again. one of these <laughs> days i'm gonna go and i remember when i after i had left dave's band i came home and i entered the garage and i and that little voice said one of these days i'm gonna ride that hey wait a minute hey wait a minute I could ride that bike right now. Uh-huh. Hey, wait a minute. I can go out and buy a Harley. And I bought seven Harleys. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, wow. In one shot? No. Oh, okay. over Over like a year. That would be a you real know. splurge. I'll yeah, take no, seven no, yeah. today. Yeah, no. I went out and got my first Harley and I was like, oh, you're kidding me. This is so great. So that, I guess, is a guilty pleasure that I did kind of like indulge in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Last, last thing, and then we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and let the callers talk to you for the rest of the hour. Um, you you mentioned Dave as in David Lee Roth. Mm-hmm. Dave has been floating- Dave some- is David Lee Roth. David is David Coverdale. <laughs> oh, so that's in your- Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Dave Lee Roth in your book- uh, has been a little active lately. He's uh, he put out these songs that I know he did with John Five Acoustic. He's starting to float them out. Oh, he great. recently put out a couple re-records of Van Halen songs with his current band. A number of years ago, you and Billy Sheehan both told me this. You guys were this close to playing Yankee Rose here in L.A. Yeah. at the Jam, and they shut it down because of too many people. What's your relationship up like with Dave Lee Roth these days? Are you still in touch with him? Is he? Well, it seems like he wants to do stuff, but he's not fully diving back in. And the world would, of course, love an Eat em and Smile reunion. But where is there any more dialogue with him? Well, I saw Dave um, when he played uh, with Kiss. Over here in L.A. Okay. I went down and I, I, I saw him after the show. It was a great show, actually. You know, I mean, he really delivered. The band sounded really good. And it was a, it was a shorter set, mm-hmm. you know, and he wasn't doing a lot of talking or anything. He just blasted into the tracks and, and his voice was in good form, you know. And, um, and I hung out. We hung out after the show and chatted a lot. But, um, yeah, that was the last time I saw him. So there's no dialogue or it seems like he wants to do something but he just can't get the right mechanism around him it seems like he pulled off of that kiss tour he pulled out of a vegas residency kind of said he was done then all of a sudden now two van halen re-records he just dropped i mean we all know dave is like kind of hard to get in a box and figure out what's going on but but one thing about dave is he'll always keep himself busy yeah and if he can't if he's not doing it musically he'll do it with some extraordinary thing like Climbing a mountain in China, or being or an EMT in, in New York an without any knowing. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's it's or it's moving really to Japan for two years and learning fluent Japanese and having a you know uh, the masters do it. This giant tattoo on his back and taking paint classes for you know six months of blending grays. That's what he told me. Mm. It's amazing. If if he called and wanted to do the Eat em and Smile again, would you do it? How did I know that you were going to ask that question, Eddie Trump? Would you do it? <laughs> would you do it, Steve I? Well, it's out Van Halen songs the other day online. Yeah. Put out well, a re-record of Panama or something. He's putting stuff out. 
it's you know it's it's one of those things that I don't really entertain in my mind unless uh, it, uh, something was actually there. But you know, Eddie, these days I'm just really content doing the music. Uh, I've just kind of come to this inner decision that for the rest of the time I have here, I'm just I got to crank out as much of the weird music that I do for those (laughs) people that like it, you know, not to say that if something like that was to drop in and out, it wouldn't be, you know, I kind of wish we would have been able to do that little reunion at the uh, lucky strike that time. That would have been great. You guys were going to do Yankee Rose and shy boy, right? Yeah. And then the fire marshal shut it down because word got out and there were too many people in there. Way too many. You were literally behind the curtains. uh, Billy said the curtain was about to drop. Oh, man, and I was standing if, there. They and, said, if the curtain drops, you're all getting arrested or something. Well, what happened was we were all set, and the curtain was closed, and I was just about to hit the cord. The prang for Yankee Rose, and uh, one of the guys from the venue came up and said, Steve, you can't play. The fire marshal is here. There's thousands of people outside circulating the building, and the 350 capacity has 1,200 people in it. <sighs> this is not working, and they, they're shutting it down. And I'm like... Wait, just can I hit this chord? Can I? And it's like no. And I said, well, look, I'm playing. Okay, it, 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 you're gonna get fined. And I said, I thought, okay, I'll pay the fine. He goes, really? And I said, yeah, I'll pay the fine. He, go, he, he goes, well, let me find out how much it is. <laughs> and he runs back and he said, well, it was a five thousand dollar fine. And I'm like, all right, I'll play it. I'm gonna hit the chord. And he goes, no, but you're gonna go to jail. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just like, God. yeah. All right, I should have just hit the damn cord, huh? Yeah, I would have made good. Come press. on, Eddie. What would have made good press? Great, made good press that we didn't because five grand. Funny. Five grand's nothing. Everyone could would have kicked in a grand. They would have. <laughs> you could have put a tip jar out on the sidewalk. You're <laughs> thrown a buck in. You would have been fine. But the jail part would have scared me. What was you know what was funny was I I walked back and I said to Dave I go you know what man it's not happening. He goes, really? And I said, yeah, they're not letting us play because there's just too many people and the fire marshal is closing it down. And he goes, perfect. We'll get more press out of this. And you know what? He was right. And did he just do a runner out of there then when it found out you weren't going to play? Or where, where did he no, go? No, we, we actually considered going someplace else. We were going to go to, uh, oh, what's the name of the place right on Sunset? Not the Roxy? The, no, across from, on the other side of the street. Troubadour? The, no, no, no. The... Uh, uh, Whiskey? No, no, the other side of the street. Uh, the Viper Room. Viper Room. Well, that's Viper even room. smaller than the bowling alley. I know, but who? You know, we were just gonna, <laughs> we were just gonna show up, you know, and just. That play. place is a closet. Twenty people's packed in there. I know, but that would have been great. But we we just decided at the last minute, you know, probably get in more trouble. <laughs> oh man, that is so. That is just too much. Well, we can always hope that one of these days that'll happen. All right, Steve yeah. Vai's uh album is out now in Violet and also the tour is starting as we just heard next week on the 28th. Mm-hmm. Go to vi.com. All the dates are there wherever you're listening in the US or Canada right now and you can uh find a date and go see Steve and his extraordinary band. Still got Jeremy playing the drums, yep. right? And Jeremy says hello. He was going to come with best. me, but his little girls having a party. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. I've seen he was doing some uh, gigs with Sebastian Bach lately. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen him a bit and uh I've got band- Philip Bino on bass and Dave Wiener on guitar. And you're going to see the Hydra. The, the Hydra, Hydra will make its debut on stage. Yes, it will. I might, it might not be hanging off of my hip. It might be on a stand, but it's it's still fascinating to watch. Do you still have that guitar that's like the heart double neck thing <laughs> that you played with, Roth? I Well, no, not that one. That's in a uh, the Hard Rock has got that. And uh, I had three of them. 
Well, I have one still, the Purple Heart, but the other two, one of them I um, raffled off for charity. Okay. Yeah. So there's one, one, some, one, one someone has rock. and one in the hard rock. Yeah. All right. National Outlet Shopping Day is back. Join us June 8th and 9th at Simon Premium Outlets nationwide. Score thousands of can't-miss deals from brands you love all weekend long. They've got up to 65% off every day. And the National Outlet Shopping Day deals are even better. Visit premiumoutlets.com slash NOSD to find a premium outlet near you. That's premiumoutlets.com slash NOSD. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel cheers to a great day and this ice cold corona you know what would make this day even better my grandma's carne asada or your grandma here with us making carne asada she does love a cold corona throw in some dancing we can watch the game i'll drink to that so a backyard concert with football food dancing and corona and your grandma or we could keep it simple simple is good want a corona thanks Salute to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. I promised the audience a chance to uh, ask Steve a question. We'll do that right now. We'll jump in on the phones at 844-686-5863. We start with, uh, I don't know if it's Ali or Ali, who's in L.A. and has been waiting a very long time. You are on the air. Welcome to the show. Hey there, it's Ali. How are you guys? <laughs> hey, Ali. Hey, Ali. Hey. Ali's a the friend of mine. Uh, this is the song is called "This Is the Life" uh, on by uh, Living Color that you did over there in Rio, by the way. Ah, okay, thank you. Leave it to the fans to get you <laughs> set right. you straight, Steve. Thank you, I needed that. Yes. Okay. My question to you, Steve, is uh, the big Mama Jama uh, the Jamathon that you did a, a while ago. Yeah. The recording is out there. Are you ever going to release that? And when is the next time you're going to be doing that? And by the way, I'll see you in two weeks. And your CD rocks, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ollie. Uh, well, you know, the big Mama Jama Jamathon. Do, do you know about that? Eddie? No, I don't uh, think that so. That was something I did some years ago. I was on the board of directors of Extraordinary Families, which is a foster care in, in the oh, L.A. Okay. area, and I, I wanted to do a fundraiser. So I thought, let's do a jam where the music never stops. And oh, it, I remember that. Yeah. We, so you, I had you on for that. We talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We went like 53 hours, yeah, you know? Yeah, I remember that. And everything was recorded. You oh know, wow! And everything was filmed, and it was a, a really fantastic event. And we raised a lot of money, and I I have all the tapes, and I started to dive into them, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> How the hell would you put out fifty three hours. hours? What do you want to condense it down to? Well, I don't. That's the question. You know, how how do you condense it, and then you got to get the rights, and uh, so it's still a sort of a project that I have on the to do list to get some of those records out, but. Uh, I just went to see my friend uh, Richie Kotzen play the other day, who's one of my favorite players, and uh, he put out a record a couple of years ago. He turned 50, yeah, and he put out a record called 50 for 50, 50 songs 
wow. on one record. Wow. All of which he wrote and played everything on and produced and mixed. And yeah. I'm like, you're out of your mind. And, and he played a couple songs in the set at, from the record. And I was like, do I know? And I told him, I said, I love your music, but even me, 50 songs in 50 one songs is-, is a big commitment to take in. And I'm a fan. but yeah. So it's hard to get all that over to everybody sometimes. Yeah. See, well, he's a well-kept hours. secret in a way because oh, yeah. he's so talented. Yeah. He really is. The singing and his playing and his it's songwriting, crazy. it's crazy. Yeah. So I could see him ripping out 50 songs. But I'm just trying to trying to get that across to people and yeah. like, even no matter how big of a fan you are, yeah. to digest that much is a big chunk. It's a big thing, but yeah. Yeah, he marches to his own drums. He's like, oh, I really wanted to do it, I did it. So yeah. here's Joe uh, Hastings on Hudson. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. Hey, Steve. Uh, hey, Joe. I just want to Thank you so much for all that you do. You know, I was a uh, high school kid in 86 at Hampton Coliseum in Virginia. I saw the Eat Em and Smile uh-huh. show. And to this day, it stays in my head. It was, you know, the album is, is cl- classic, but the show in and of itself, that performance, uh, it was was ne- something you'll never forget. The battle between you and Sheehan, that, that guitar battle yeah. you have. <laughs> Yeah. It's, uh, There's some uh, footage, Joe. Let me that. jump in real quick. There's some footage of that in the documentary, and yeah. you've seen some footage. Man, you guys were like, <sighs> yeah. it I was guess. physical. I mean, you're throwing yeah. guitars and spinning yeah. and moving. I was tired just looking at the two yeah, of you. Yeah, me too. I was looking at that, saying, "Who did we think we were?" <laughs> I couldn't believe it when rock. I when I saw it. I was like, "Did we really do that? Did we put that time and work in to make it like that?" But we did. But I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so two things. One is, uh, so I, you know, I got back to high school uh, with the shirt on, and uh, in Virginia there was a contingent of deadheads, right? So like right away the deadheads like, yo, you you went to that show, you got to listen to to more Vi. It's like, and he says tomorrow I'm bringing you something. So he brought me Man from Utopia, and then I got oh, all yeah. into you and all that you do. He's like, yeah, he's like seventeen year old kid. He sent a cassette to Zap and his. So my questions, uh, two questions, quick. One is, um. Zappa, and this is my opinion, Zappa and uh, Dave share a, a sense of humor about, you know, they, they're very serious uh, w- with their work, but there's this crazy, zany sense of humor that you work, uh, you collaborate so well with. Zappa had his own, his thing kind of down when you joined. Uh, Dave was kind of just, uh, evo- you know, just growing like a flower and you were the right there. So do you feel when you did the Eat em and Smile album with with Dave, did you feel liberated? Did you feel like you were basically, quote unquote, no pun intended, unchained and were able to go get go all free without um, having to be cautious with uh, Zappa's project at all times? And with Dave sort of, did you feel freedom? That's my first question. Second question is that crazy show. Do you regret do you have any regrets with all the. Bodily injuries, just doing all of that stuff to your shoulder. You, <laughs> He's paying for regret. it now. I think yeah, probably I we cover. Well, let me think about it. No. <laughs> well, you know, with with Frank, it was a whole different focus. You know, when you're on stage in his band, your full attention is on Frank at all times. The audience is like peripheral, you know. But with Dave Roth, it was learning how to, you know, engage twenty thousand people. And and he was a great mentor for me when it came to that. But uh, what was the other part of the question? Uh, 
I, Sorry, I, oh, Joe. the shoulder. Oh, the do, shoulder. Do, do, do I regret? Do you regret doing all the athletic stuff with Roth? No, well, uh, no, because when you're doing it, you're just. I was. I was. I suffered the the consequences back then because with Dave, I had a, I had neck surgery as and back surgery. I actually had a disc taken out of my neck at one oh. point, and his and Uncle Dave Roth did it. Dave's uncle. He was a neurosurgeon. Oh, is, oh that's yeah. right. He comes from a family. Yeah, his, his, his Uncle Dave, man. He saved my life. You know? Wow. And, you did uh, a deal on it then. I, got, <laughs> I did. <laughs> you got a discount. I did. But uh, no, I, you know, when you're young like that and you and you got the space and, and Dave was, he just pushed you to be the best you can. I had no limitations. Yeah, that was the question. Did you feel uh, chained or unchained? And with, with Roth, it was, you, 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 you be the best you can be and then you got to you want to be better you know you want to put out put out put out because uh, and there is a there is a sort of a similarity that i um gravitated to in their sense of humor you know because i've got this quirky kind of side and frank has his and dave has everybody knew dave has has his you know there's something intense yeah. and and uh disciplined but r- really zany in a sense sometimes and did that you, was me. Did so you, we fit in great. Did you feel any sense of competition, the band, or did you feel anything from Roth at that time the, versus the Van Halen world as they were out with 5150 and Sammy? Was there a, even if it was, was there some feeling of competition even under the surface a little bit between well, the Well, it's two impossible bands? to avoid that stuff. Yeah. I, I was more like an observer of it all. Yeah. You know, but it. Of course, there's going to be, you know, I wonder how the other guy's doing right. without me or... Looking at the box scores. Both, and I think they both had that to some degree. I would think. You know, I, I never, Dave never really, he didn't really show it much. He was focused on what, what we're doing and how we're going to go out there and just blow up the bridge. You know what I mean? That was his focus. Did you have a, much of a relationship with Eddie Van Halen? For a period I did. I, I, I the day after i had left dave's actually it was that night and i didn't even know how he could possibly have found out but edward called me and wanted to see me so i went to his house which was not far from where i lived <clears throat> and we actually struck up a very nice friendship for a while you know we we hung out almost every day a really? little bit yeah and we, we talked a lot and he came to my house i go to his house we'd play softball and, this you know, was just after skyscraper after after the the tour the after tour. i had left the band right but he we were very different kind of people too so you know it was a very nice kind of a short term hangout and then we just went on did you ever play ways. with him yeah you, uh, one time at frank's house with frank that's not recorded is it no damn yeah i know it was, oh. it was great oh my god <laughs> that's uh, and then one time i was in my studio and i was recording something i had my guitar my gear, my studio, my house, and Edward comes in, and we're just talking, and was he's sitting next to me, and he goes, yeah, and I worked on this, this, check out this, and he grabs my guitar, and he started playing it, and damn, it sounded just like Edward. I was like, <laughs> how dare you sound like you on my gear? I was going to say, who should it sound like, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I figured, well, it might sound a little bit, nope, nothing like me, and I've had that kind of experience a bunch of times. Well, Ted Nugent told me that, because Nugent, took out Van Halen like on their first tour. Yeah. And Nugent they were the opening act and Nugent said that he's 
who the hell is this guy playing? He went out and he saw, you know, he saw Eddie Van Halen playing. And then later on during a sound check or something, he, he went to try to play one of Eddie's guitars through his rig and was completely flummoxed. And then Eddie went to play Ted's Birdland and was completely like, and he's just like, that's like beef yogurt or something. (laughs) You know, he just doesn't mix. So they couldn't like, you know, they couldn't figure out what eats the other, like how the hell are you playing that? Well, how the hell are you playing through that? Yeah, no, that's happened so many times to me. And when, when I first moved out here and I was in the, uh, the rainbow, like one of the first times, Brian May was at the bar. I couldn't even believe it. And I, I was just new in L.A. I was a 20-year-old kid. And, he was, and I went up and I started talking to him, and he was so kind. He invited me to a Queen rehearsal the next day. Wow. You believe that? And I went down there, and I got, I got to see Queen rehearse, like Freddie and everybody. But there was the guitar. The one. The one, you know. And I couldn't believe it was the guitar. I said, is that it? You know, and he goes, yeah, you want to play it? Oh. And I'm like, do I want to play it? You know, and I, I went up to it and I, I picked it up. And to my chagrin, it did not sound like Brian May. You know, it sounded like Steve I. And it was a hard guitar to play. You know, it was just, it has a bat for a neck, basically, really thick. But that's happened so many times. I remember once Satriani and I were on stage and we invited, um, well, Brian once came up. And it was just so obvious once he started playing that it was so him, you know. And the, these kinds of things uh, uh, are so interesting to see. You don't realize until it happens. It's funny when you talk about Brian May and that. For for those that don't know, Brian May's played the same guitar his entire Red special life. I mean, it's he, he built, built it. it right. Yeah, it's I mean, it's he was like a kid with his dad. sixty years. He's this just there's one guitar he plays, and about I don't know. 15 years ago, there was a, ser- a a show done in Vegas called VH1 Rock Honors, yeah. and I was a producer on it, and the it aired. The idea was like Queen played, and there was a band that did a tribute to them, and then Kiss played, and somebody did a tribute to them, and it was like that. Priest played, somebody did a tribute. So I'm there early because I'm working on the show, and I'm seeing everybody loading in their gear, and all these bands are like their guitar villages loading in on those big wheels with like 15 guitars in the cabinets and everybody's setting up. So you are walking through the backstage and it's just like a village of everybody's gear. And then there's one guitar. Yeah. (laughs) There's one of those cases. One Vox amp. That's it. Yeah. And it's like, Ooh, like there it is. You know, it's just, so you have these guys have like 20 guitars each. Yeah. And there's Brian May coming in with one guitar with the red. That's all it needed. Yeah. Uh, let's say hello to Max, who's in Orlando, Florida. What's up, Max? Hey, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it, Eddie. Sure, Max. Go ahead with Steve. So, Steve, I just have to say I've never had a chance to say this to you. Uh, so thank you, Eddie, for the opportunity. But, Steve, you were the first guitar player that really influenced me as far as, like, getting me into instrumental guitar playing. It's the eccentric quality in your work that I really gravitate towards. And so I have to say oh, thank, thank you. you. I mean. To, to me, that uh, 96 EP with Bad Horsey on it, I probably was like seven years old when I heard that, thanks to my dad, and I was immediately turned on. And the Ultra Zone, three years later, that was it for me. So I really wow. thank you for that and uh, for your influence on me with your incredible guitar playing. But I oh, want to uh, ask you a question about your, ses- your session work with Ozzy Osbourne, uh, somewhere between, what, 94, 93, 94, when you did the X-Ray project with him. I know mm-hmm. there's a co-write on uh, the song "Dying Day," um, on the on the one record my, that you did. My so, little man. 
Yeah, My Little Man and Dying Day uh, has an Ozzy co-write as well on your uh, one of your records. But, um, well, Di- Dying Day was a... And- yeah, sure. Well, what happened was Ozzy was in the middle. It was about halfway through working on a record. And, you know, Zach and, and the band. And the label and Sharon wanted him to get out with some other songwriters. And they came and saw my show and contacted me. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to work, you know, do some stuff with Ozzy. So we held up in my studio for like three months and just started writing. And we really hit it off and we were having a a great time. And we started plotting and planning on our own, you know, okay, let's, let's make a full record here. And, you know, let's, let's go out and, you know, but then once, you know, reality kicked in and we brought it, brought it back to the record company, they were more like, no, you know, you're already halfway done with a record. Uh, you just need a few songs and to re- re-record a whole new record and, and Vi is expensive, you know. <laughs> so uh, he, he was told to just, you know, take songs that he liked from what we did. And that was great because um, they took a great song, My Little Man, and uh, Dying Day was something that I had in the can that I we were using as a potential, but it never really was used. But then, um, uh, you know, Zach is, he's so Aussie, you know, he's like the guy, he's mm-hmm. the right guy. And he recorded the song that we, uh, Ozzy and I wrote and it came out great. And Lemmy wrote the lyrics. Mm. Yeah. Do you, thinking of this, you know, we've talked about White Snake, Roth, Alcatraz, bands that you were in. Obviously, if you watch the documentary, you were in bands when you were very young. I would imagine throughout the course of your career, uh, you've been asked by countless bands to join them or be part of their band and, and or put a band together. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anybody that you ever passed on that you said, damn, maybe I should have done that? Yeah. Uh, not but- not that I should have done it, uh, to uh, abandoning what I was doing because I was, if I didn't take certain gigs, uh, I, it was because I was tied up. But things had come down through the office, you know, Mick Jagger, um, uh, John Lennon's wife, Yoko, <laughs> Yoko. That was one that came. Robert, you Palmer. do like to make weird music, right? <laughs> uh, well, no, I wouldn't have. You know, I. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, Robert Palmer. There was a lot, but uh, not one... really hard rock stuff, though. That's interesting. Yoko... Well, Robert Plant, um, Plant was one that it came to me in the office, but it was way after the fact. Right, and that was one that, to this day, I'd I'd love to do something with him. Not too late. He's still active. Yeah, he's still sounding great. Robert, if too. you're listening, give Vi a call. Wow. He's right. He's not cheap, but you can call him. We've <laughs> already him established that. Nothing's free, but, you know, give, give him a shout. No, nah, for Robert Plant, it's free. <laughs> Here's John in Jersey. Hey, John. Hey, Eddie. I am talking to you live from Morris County Mall. I can still see the All Look Record Show oh, on the where wall. where I used to work. Ah, That's where I used go. to work. That's the mall. I worked there, yes, and the... Uh, the ground round was in there, and the radio shack across the way. I remember it well, John. Oh, it was a happening, I'll tell you. So anyway, yep. Steve, can't tell you how much I enjoy the music over the years. So many times Thank I've you. seen the shows. And uh, just a, a an unsolicited endorsement, if you do that Generation X, anyone who's listening, if you're going to see a show, that is the one to go to, and I would definitely recommend you do the meet and greet. 
you guys, you know, you talked about how kind people were to you, Steve. The way you handle the crowds and the way uh, on those intimate, you know, meet and greets, all the guys, Zach, Nuno, they were, all could not have been nicer. They signed things. They talked to you a little bit. And yeah. I got to tell you, it was one of the best musical experiences I ever experienced. I'll be seeing oh, you again great. in November at the Wind Creek in Pennsylvania. Right and on. I'll be doing that meet and greet, too. Yeah, great right album. On. Love it. Thanks for taking my call, guys. I can't wait. All to right, see John. You again, Steve. Thank you, brother. All Take right. care, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy the Morris County Mall. Here is uh, here is Sean in Georgia. Go ahead, Sean. Hey, gentlemen. Good afternoon. How we doing? Hey, Sean. Good. Hey. Um, so, uh, my, I feel like my question's a bit odd given the uh, uh, some of the stuff I've been listening to, but it's all great stuff. So, I got to tell you, Steve, one of my first experiences to decide whether or not I actually wanted to play guitar didn't come from you know some of the normal sources. Um, I actually saw uh, Crossroads and um, being fascinated with um, classical music most of my life growing up, I didn't understand that it could be used and, and could be converted into something that you know you could perform on an electric guitar. And at that time, it just absolutely blew my mind. Um, so my question is, first off, all of the guitar playing on the uh, – it's something I could obviously look up, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to ask you the question. Did you play guitar on the entire uh, – all of those scenes? Was that was that your playing? Well, well, um, everything in the duel uh, is uh -huh. me, with the exception of uh -huh. the slide guitar. That was Ry Cooter. Okay. I, I don't play slide like that. But, uh, yeah, in the, in the actual duel, when I'm uh, – when I lose against Ralph – that's right. me playing both parts. So you're battling yourself. I'm battling myself. The audio, yeah. yeah. I kind of yeah. built it so because it was a movie and there was a you know it was it needed to look like a duel, but how do you make oh, guitars? Yeah, it, you know how how do you yeah, make guitars duel and not be like, well, it's a matter of taste. You know, I like that guy even though he you know no I had to make it unequivocal. You right. lost. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, I, and, you. and, you know, being a bit of a guitar nerd, I, I, I probably watched that scene, I don't know, a hundred times. And, you know, when then then it comes up in general conversation and someone will say, what is that? I've never seen it. I'm like, oh, no, you got to see it. And so, you know, we'll go through and rehash it again. But um, backing up to what some of the guys are talking about, about Frank Zappa, I only have one question. If you had to kind of wrap that guy up into a single word, what what, what would you say he is? freedom frank was oh god that, yeah yeah frank frank was an explosion of creative freedom he never made excuses he never waited for something somebody to do it for him he did what he want when he wanted to and he accomplished it and that was very um i was very impressionable at that time and i just thought well that's how you do it you want to do something you do it you just do it mm. you just, and the moment you start doing it it doesn't seem so difficult anymore. You just it just starts to happen, and that you don't need to do anything that doesn't feel right to you. That's it. Mm. You know that that's one of the things I learned from Frank. Well, the words of Zappa will end our interview today, so I think All that's right. a good way to put a button on it. Again. Okay, but let me let me just give you a little Frank quote when he yeah. was asked by somebody, uh, "What what would what advice would you give a young musician?" And he said, there's only two things to remember. Number one, don't stop. And number two, keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
I thought the other one was going to be don't suck. <laughs> don't stop and don't suck. But yeah. uh, you'd have to throw that in there, too, I would think. <laughs> Steve, it's always a pleasure. I can't thank you enough for coming in. Same here, Eddie. I was, thanks for the invite. I uh, always love seeing you, brother. I love seeing you, too, and uh, you're welcome anytime. And everybody go see Steve because his tour starts next week. Again, find the date at vi.com, and everything is up there. All the dates are there, and you will see the debut of the Hydra and you will see Steve, uh, yeah, and the Living Color version of Cult of Personality is out there, too. Killer new version with Steve Vai on it from this song. Um, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Eddie. See you next time, and congrats, and good luck on the tour. Right on, brother. All thank right. You. Well, that was a lot of fun having Steve Vai in. Greatly appreciate him coming by on an off day. At the time you heard this, he was prepping for his tour here in the U.S., which has now begun. So if you get the opportunity to go, Steve, do so. He's very, very entertaining, as you know, and obviously one of the virtuoso guitar players of all time. But, you know, he he's obviously... Some of the instrumental guitar stuff can be monotonous to me at times. It really isn't when I go see Steve because he's so entertaining the way he delivers it, and he's so good at what he does. It's really a very cool thing to see. So I thank Steve for coming by. His new album's out there right now, and again, the tour has begun. It's Eddie Trunk, at Eddie Trunk on social media. Be sure to follow. And thanks to Joel Pollack for putting the podcast podcast together. I hope you join me every day talking rock music on Faction Talk, Sirius XM, Channel 103, live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. And all shows, interviews, audio, video, more. Just go to the Sirius XM app to find that. Catch you back here next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.